We really need new phones. T-Mobile will cover the cost of four amazing new iPhone 15s, and each line is only $25 a month. New iPhone 15s? It's better over here. Only at T-Mobile get four iPhone 15s on us and four lines for $25 per line per month with eligible trade-in when you switch. Minimum of four lines for $25 per line per month with auto pay discount using debit or bank account. $5 more per line without auto pay, plus taxes and fees. Phone fee 24 monthly bill credits for all well qualified customers. Contact us before canceling account to continue bill credits or credit stop and balance on required finance agreement due. $35 per line connection charge applies. Ctmobile.com. Baseball is in full swing. NBA playoffs are heating up. And your NFL team is gearing up for training camp. Listen to the latest on the teams you love here on the Odyssey app. The biggest sports radio stations in the country providing unrivaled local coverage of their teams all in one place exclusive interviews with players coaches and team executives streaming live and always available on demand stay in the know with your favorite teams right here on the odyssey app tomorrow we'll move from black history month into women's history month and while it may not get as much institutional attention as the month we're ending, it's an appropriate time to look at the status of issues affecting women. They're often treated like a minority, even when they're in the majority. Hello, I'm political editor Craig Delamore, and this is At Issue. My guest this weekend is Felicia Davis. She's the president and CEO of the Chicago Foundation for Women. It's an organization that raises money to fund programs that better the lives of women and girls, and it advocates for women's issues. Felicia Davis has led the foundation since 2019, and she joined me almost a year ago and, and also, by the way, has the distinction of being the very last guest I interviewed in our studios. Uh, COVID-19 was becoming a thing right about then, and it still is, and we are conducting this interview via Zoom conferencing this time, and Felicia Davis, welcome back. Thank you for having me. I didn't realize I was the last guest in studio because remember we were talking about covid and saying i don't know how much longer we're going to be able to do this and it was not any longer after wow. that wow so uh glad to have you back and what a year we've had since uh, early 2020 and uh right now 2021 seems sometimes appears to be trying to outdo its predecessor uh, but before we talk about all the things that are happening or not happening regarding women, uh, Felicia, tell us about what the Chicago Foundation for Women is and has been doing. Thank you, Craig. Thanks for having me on the show again. Chicago Foundation for Women is a community foundation. Um, we've been around, founded in 1985 by four women who at the time um, understood and philanthropy and organized philanthropy, you know, very little, very few dollars are being allocated towards the causes, um, specifically towards causes for women and girls. Um, in addition to that, there were a lot of policy um, initiatives and there was a lot of advocacy work that still needed to happen for gender equity. So the organization was created around advancing gender equity for women. And over the years, the organization has grown to include the definition of, of gender equity to bring in understanding that um, we have to invest for all our sisters, including trans um, women as well, um, advocating for girls um, and the intersectionalities that all women bring. So African-American women, Latina women and so forth. Um, we fund approximately $3 million a year um, in grants and areas of leadership for women, um, access to health information and health itself for women and girls, 
um, economic security and opportunity for women and girls, as well as freedom from gender-based violence, which all of those things have been um, front and center um, for us for a long time, but certainly COVID has made all of those things I just mentioned um, front and center for our country. Yeah, we're going to talk about some of that, but how has fundraising been amid all the economic upheaval of COVID-19? I have to say in the very beginning, so if I go back to last March and it feels like, even though it's been a year, it feels like so long ago because, you know, so much has happened. Um, When the economic downturn occurred, a lot of the people who support CFW, right, depend on income, income they're either earning through work or income that they are earning through, you know, um, investments that they have in the market. So there was a significant uh, decline and decrease. And actually, even for us, for a moment, we had a pause because we had to take a pause. As you were experiencing what was happening, going back to those early days, there was a lot of uncertainty, but there was a, 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 a you know, 30% decline in, in, in value in the stock market and, and people started to lose their livelihoods. And so we actually shifted for a while our fundraising strategy just to check in on people, just to um, talk to the people who have supported us the most and almost like well-being, just to say, we're here. Um, is there anything we can do for you? But since then, um, we, we also changed. We pivoted in the way, besides the remote work, which is obvious, um, we started to do a lot more events. Obviously, those events being delivered via Zoom. We started to partner with other organizations. We reach, we've reached new audiences um, this year for the first time in our history, or last year for the first time in the history of the organization. We didn't have our big annual luncheon that brings 2,000, you know, I always say like 1,900 women and 100 fugitive men into the room for a lunch and inspiring speeches and videos. Um, and we did an unluncheon. So we changed and so consequently, and we've rallied around providing response grants to organizations. And because the issues that we were already part of our DNA are all the issues that are front and center right now. It's made fundraising, um, um, I won't say easy, but it's made us be able to reach new audiences. And in some cases actually do better and outperform in some months on fundraising. Well, that's, that's good to hear. And, and a year ago, we were talking about uh, the disproportionate impact that the pandemic was already having on women. And uh, a year's time does not seem to have changed much of any of that. Talk to me about what COVID has been like in this this year and, and getting through it. Yeah, um... So when we, you know, when we met in March, there were the beginnings of this, which were um, frontline, some of the services, um, the hospitality sector was already feeling pressure. Women who were in the hospitality sector were already laid off. Um, There were other women in healthcare were already, they weren't being laid off, but they were already being stretched. And we didn't know what really was going to happen with schools because at the time schools were in session and then quickly or soon thereafter, um, we talked last, um, schools started to close and then there started to be this immense pressure on caregivers and in our country and in our city, overwhelmingly caregiving is done by women. So women who also perhaps hold jobs outside of the house. So there was this immense pressure on caring for children while they are remote learning, while you are either 
um, if you're able, remote working yourself or figuring out if you're a, um, an essential worker, how to go to work every day and care for your family and maintain health. So the amount of stress and pressure, pressure that's been on, on women has been immense, but the economic impact. So since we last uh, talked, you know, nearly 5 million women have lost jobs. Um, in the jobs report from the Department of Labor in, the, just for, in December alone, all of the job loss in our country was women um, and predominantly black women and Latina women. Like this is, this is overwhelmingly and, you know, black and Latina women were already under great economic, women are already under great economic pressure because they're not paid um, at the same rate that men are paid. So if you're already kind of behind, you're not, you're less able to withstand these huge economic pressures as they occur. Um, and that's what's happened in a lot of instances. So COVID I mean, these, not- these women are, I mean, the jobs that we call essential jobs are female dominated jobs, right? Yes, they're still very much in the service sector. Um, so thinking about all the things while we were able to remote work safely, you know, um, postal workers and um, 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 grocery store um, people who work at grocery stores and all of the services and goods that we were, even restaurants, right? Even as restaurants were um, opening, open, delivery only um, and closed to in dining or in, you know, dining indoors, overwhelmingly those sectors are dominated by women. Um, they're also dominated by um, immigrant women um, and women of color. And so, and the hotel sector, which has been completely hospitality sector, just hotels alone, decimated. Um, there's a woman on our staff at CFW, her mother worked at one of the biggest hotels in the city, had worked there for years and years and years and has not worked in a year. Um, so there are a lot of pressures from an economic standpoint because the women are overrepresented. This is um, overrepresented in those fields. Um, it's a form of you know job segregation that happens where, you know, jobs that people deem or society deems are like lower of lower value. Um, often those are the jobs that women are trapped into or the jobs that women unfortunately um, are the ones who um, predominantly are able to get. And I, I've been hearing the words she session to describe what we're seeing. Uh, is, this, is that that an illustration of it? And, and how deep does it go? Absolutely, Craig. The in the last um, economic downturn that the United States had prior to this, um, in that sector, it was most it was manufacturing, cars. It was things that those careers and those sectors were dominated by men. So that last recession. Um, and today, in this economic downturn, every um, um, report um, and all the data that comes out is highlighting the way in which. Um, our past practices, so our past practices of, you know, segregating work, segregating women into certain fields, um, how that has really exacerbated this issue today. Um, and then you add to that, that overwhelmingly in the healthcare profession, so you think about all of the nursing assistants, the um, phlebotomists, the um, transport people, the, you know, uh, 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 nurses and so forth, overwhelmingly um, um, represented in, in those sectors, uh, in those careers are women. 
And so the being on the front line in a very direct way, um, which means it also puts you, yourself, your family at risk, um, balancing all of those pressures. Um, this, this economic downturn will have an impact on women for generations and families. And so I always have to say this, right? Sometimes I think I said this the last time when I'm on your show, it's like, I have to let men understand how this impacts them as well. You know, um, one, you know, married couples. So if you're a married couple, um, a, a husband and a wife or two wives, um, the women in that relationship or your partner are, it's likely that they are not being paid equitably to begin with. And that those economic losses, that, you know, 20 cents on the dollar or that 27 cents on the dollar that every single day she's not earning actually hurts your family. So as I talk about this and I talk about the losses for women, I want people to understand that that's a loss in our community, that that income is lost to the community. It's lost to GDP. It's lost to um, helping um, communities thrive. And then I'm just, if I look at just the households that are led by women as the, or the, bri the breadwinner, households where women are the primary breadwinner, then the impact is catastrophes um, on the family. And by family, I mean her immediate family, um, but also that has um, ramifications, say, on in-laws and cousins and so forth, because they have to rally to support. So it really hurts us all. Mm. Now, even as all of this has gone on within the last couple of years, we've seen more women owning businesses. And obviously that puts them, you know, on the front lines for problems during COVID, but more women are owning businesses. They're moving into more traditionally male dominated fields like construction, more women in the corporate boardrooms, more women are CEOs. Does that kind of progress, first off, are we seeing enough of that kind of progress? And does that kind of progress offset some of what we're seeing closer to the ground? Well, um, I will say there's, you know, moderate progress. I will not, I won't say that, you know, we get a free pass on this um, in the number of women in C-suites and, and Fortune 500 companies and so forth. So um, when it really comes to small businesses, and we all acknowledge that small business are really the driving first force of our communities and really the economy. Um, black women in particular and women of color um, were starting small businesses at a higher rate. They were the largest sector of, of starting small businesses. Um, but there were also challenges with that. So the access to capital um, has always been a challenge um, for women-owned businesses, whether that's a woman who's starting, you know, um, who, when you go to VCs and you're saying invest in this, it could be a technology product or it could be um, some other type of product access to capital still remains elusive um, to women. And then it's even worse for women of color. So Latina founders and black women founders, it's, uh, it's a lot more challenging um, for them to get the access to capital. Well, that capitalization, the ability to have money, resources, um, limits you know the size of your growth it limits your ability to hire staff and employees small businesses overwhelmingly hire from the community and particularly hire from the communities that they reflect themselves and so they actually give us a lot more benefits to the um to society but when the ppp loan um portal opened you know much has been written about the fact that many of these small businesses were um 
were shut out. Many of the larger companies, you know, were more well-resourced companies were able to get in and apply for loans and take huge, um, huge loans out of the system, which made it less likely that um, um, small businesses would be able to have access. And And just recently, I think we're still in this two week period where the Biden administration, you know, acknowledging this and calling this out, um, this two-week period where small businesses below a certain threshold um, are prioritized and that that portal is only open and that's to provide a little bit of equity um, um, in the space for small business owners and relief for small business owners. Because arguably during this pandemic, um, some of the resources that have been provided to assist they haven't always gone to the people who've needed it the most, quite frankly. And I know there's no perfect system, um, but I do hope that as we, and as you know, our country and even in Chicago, the the, the city and our state um, mount efforts around recovery. I really do hope that they center equity and that the, in, in, in the true sense of the word and that they center the communities, specific communities, and zip codes that have been impacted the most by COVID, which are zip codes and communities of color, that they, you know, and and I and I have to, you know, give um, a nod to the Latina, uh, the Latina community here, um, because the Latino community has also suffered um, really um, catastrophic losses um, as it relates to COVID as well. So I hope that in this, as we talk about an equitable recovery, as we, you know, we talk about the she session. The, the antidote for that is to make sure that then, you know, we don't spread the peanut butter, um, that we actually focus um, the resources back into those communities that have been harmed the most. You're listening to News Radio 780's At Issue. I'm Craig Delamore, and we're talking about issues and challenges facing women as we move into Women's History Month. My guest is Felicia Davis, president and CEO of the Chicago Foundation for Women, and I've talked with her in so many capacities over the years. She's been a deputy mayor under Rahm Emanuel for public safety. She was head of the Public Building Commission, a police detective. Uh, I, I would think her business cards ought to just say Renaissance Woman to cover all the bases, uh, but you haven't gotten those yet, right? No, I don't have, but you just gave me a great idea. <laughs> Maybe well, that's my new Twitter account or something. There we go. Uh, but uh, I, I do want to touch on a couple of other issues, although the business issues are really the dominant ones that we need to deal with. But for the last two years that you and I have talked, we've talked about violence against women and missing women and are the signs this year, as we move into this new year and new administration and everything, are they better or worse? I, um, I think it's too soon to tell. I have a lot of hope, but I am an optimist. Um, I think you, one has to be, right, or I have to be, if I consider all of the challenges that I've had in my life personally. I'm, a, I'm an African-American woman, all the biases. So in order to wake up every day, if I face like structural inequities, I have to be optimistic that we can overcome them. As it relates to violence, um, you know, in, in, in a lot of ways, I'm hopeful and I'm also, I wanna put out challenge as I did recently, um, I wrote an opinion piece that was um, published um, because of some really dehumanizing acts that happened um, to two black women at the hands of Chicago police. And in one instance, um, it was a raid on a home and it was, um, it was the wrong address. And the, the homeowner is um, caught um, without clothes. And this is 
this is all recorded on, on um, body cameras. And the response from the police department and um, the city in that instance was lackluster. And on the heels of that, immediately after that, there was another incident um, caught on body cam where a black woman was hit by a police car and she was wedged underneath the car. And for seven minutes, for seven minutes, she lay there. No one talked to her. No one offered her a modicum of comfort. And the fact that, and what disturbs me most about those things is that the police, this is where we're supposed to go for help. And so, um, the violence that is happening in our communities isn't limited to um, just community violence. It's also happening at the hands of, of, of police, not just, you know, I don't have to go to, um, um, to other states to see it. It's happening here in my own, in my own city. Domestic violence incidents have um, increased. The normal avenues that women historically or those experiencing domestic violence have had um, have been closed to them. They're not able to go out to the organizations that are offering help. They, we have, because of shelter in place orders, we have been in our homes mostly and that, and, and the added pressures that create um, almost like um, the, an environment to, um, for violence to happen have been present. When I think about um, a year ago, um, the Chicago Foundation for Women, we issued a special grant just to address the missing and murdered black women um, on the South and West sides and trans women across the city. And at the time, the Chicago Police Department had not processed all the DNA evidence um, and they could not definitively say that whether there was or was not a serial killer. We're not far from all of that. So I, I, so in a way, I'm hopeful, you know, we still are in this country without a reauthorization of the Violence Against Women Act. So I'm hopeful that that act is reauthorized and with that comes additional resources. Um, the Biden administration is friendly to the act. Um, in fact, um, um, President Biden um, was instrumental in passing the first um, Violence Against Women Act. So we're hopeful that that happens and with that comes additional enforcement tools um, um, and resources into communities to help with these issues. So as it relates to it, violence against women and girls in this city, I have to say, um, we don't, you know, we, we probably still have a failing grade. Um, Chicago Foundation for Women partnered with uh, Anna Valencia, the city clerk's office on a girl summit. And so these were girls and young women ages 14 to 24, who told us story after story after story. We just did this in, in October. Uh, or November, story after story about how they feel unsafe um, and the ways in which they are accosted on streets, um, their concern about safety in school, their concerns about you know safety in their workplaces and so forth. And so if I look at it and say, well, how are we doing for this younger generation? If that's the scorecard, then, then we're also failing as it relates to that. So well, it's a wait and see. You'll have to, I'll have to come back and we'll have to talk about it. It's a wait and see, Craig. And we will definitely have you do that. But what needs to happen between now and when we talk again to make any difference? Well, there needs to be um, additional resources committed to women's crimes and women's issues. It's very rare. I think for the first time that I can recall, and I'm a lifelong Chicagoan, um, in a local newspaper here, domestic violence made the front page of a paper 
um, we have to provide resources. Um, the mayor's office, the mayor announced a, a task force. She is pulling together her departments um, and they're working on a scorecard. Um, the data has to be released and the data has to be disaggregated. And you have to ask the question, when we look at these crime statistics, um, the crimes that are being impacted by women often don't get talked about. And so having this scorecard or this dashboard from the city and the data will help everyone. It'll help organizations like me know where to target resources and other organizations. It'll help, I assume that it will help the police department and others understand where they need to prioritize and put those resources as well. Um, some of the changes that have happened in um, education, um, some of this violence, um, this gender-based violence, you know, starts at an early age, as we talked about the 14, these are, you know, girls um, from as young as 14 who were part of our summit. And it's been a year, it was a year ago, last January 2020, when we had um, some very um, encouraging laws passed that required um, education in school, particularly education around consent um, and age appropriate, age appropriate education and consent. And I think because of COVID, um, a lot of the implementation for that um, has fallen by the wayside, but we, we, we have to do those things. And of course, nationally, we do need a reauthorization for, of the Violence Against Women Act, as I said, that that will bring resources. Um, we also need to increase the awareness. And part of that is the data, because when people believe or um, when people are not aware of the ways in which women are being targeted in our city, um, then it's kind of like invisible, except to the women and their families who are suffering through these traumatic losses. And we, we have to care. And the other thing is, and I don't know how you mandate that, but we need to care. It, it should be unacceptable that um, dozens of women could disappear in our city and there not be an outcry. Um, it's unacceptable because those are mothers and daughters. Um, they, uh, you know, are sisters and members of our community. And those families, only their families are left to uh, um, um, tell the stories. And so we, um, we need to care and raise the alarm. All of us as citizens um, need to sound the alarm on those things and hold uh, public leaders accountable. With a few minutes left, I want to leave us perhaps on a note of hope uh, <laughs> that, that this uh, right now we are living through some history. And so are you seeing encouraging signs, at least on the political front? I mean, we, we have lived through some history for women in the last couple of months. We have. So, yes, let's end on a hopeful note. Um, uh, the uh, having Vice President uh, Harris in office, the second highest office in our land, um, is is an amazing one. I will say this because um, from a, um, a participation in the political process, our, our democracy depends on people to vote. And, uh, you know, 93% of Black women um, voted this ticket into office and overwhelmingly supported this ticket. And so um, the what the ticket represents, but particularly what uh, Vice President Harris uh, represents um, is perhaps a sea change, right? A, perhaps a recognition and an acknowledgement finally of all the ways in which women and um, all, all identities or intersectional identities of women, because our vice president has multiple intersectional identities, not just as a black woman, but also um, an Asian woman as well. And so 
um, that women are being recognized. I hope it changes the way corporate America looks at women, particularly women over 50. You know, historically women over 50 were looked at as, you know, like down the hill and arguably um, uh, Vice President Harris is indicating and signaling that women are at the peak of their power um, in their 50s and have a lot of contributions to make. I, I think it's hopeful for a generation of young girls. So I talked about our girls summit and we have some upcoming summit events with our young girls um, in Chicago, but that they see that and they actually see themselves and can see um, you know, some of the glass ceilings that are, I, people call them glass ceilings. I call them like concrete barriers because it's been really, really hard to chip away at them over time. Um, and so those are hopeful signs to me. And I'm also hopeful, Craig, um, of the leadership of young people and just everyday women across Chicago. On March 18th, uh, Chicago Foundation for Women is holding our um, annual impact awards. And every year we honor women who are doing tremendous work across um, um, Chicago. And the work that they do really, really gives me hope. They're holding our communities together. They're helping um, um, women and families in some really um, amazing ways. And so I um, applaud that. And then I have to say this too, the two public officials, um, women who stand out um, right now have been uh, Dr. Awadi and, um, and um, I'm drawing a blank, but the- Gazi uh, Azike. Yeah, my goodness, look at that. Look at what they have done this entire year, the way that they have led. And so I think we have some really amazing examples of women's uh, leadership here, um, not just um, in the White House, but also here locally um, in Chicago and in the state of Illinois as well. And what could be, you know, the possibilities. Well, that is a fine final word where the next history makers are going to be coming from. I'd like to thank Felicia Davis, the president and CEO of the Chicago Foundation for Women for spending this half hour with me. To our listeners, if you'd like a copy of this program or to hear it again, please visit our website at wbbmnewsradio.com. You can also find our podcasts on radio.com. We'll be back next week with another edition of At Issue, and I hope you'll be listening. Until then, I'm Craig Delamore, News Radio 780 and 105.9 FM. T Mobile has invested billions to light up America's largest 5G network from big cities to small towns, including right here in yours. And great coverage is just the beginning. Right now, families and small businesses can save up to 20% versus ATT and Verizon when they switch. Visit your local T Mobile store today. Plan savings with three lines of T-Mobile Essentials versus comparable available plans. Plan features and taxes and fees may vary. Oh, 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 O'Reilly. Protect your vehicle's engine with a full synthetic oil change and save with Mobile One at O'Reilly Auto Parts. Purchase five quarts of Mobile One full synthetic motor oil and receive a $10 O'Reilly gift card after rebate. See store for details. With your Mobile One purchase, you'll also receive two times points during Old Rewards Bonus Points Month at O'Reilly Auto Parts. Oh, 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 O'Reilly Auto Parts.